Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another episode of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Our guest today is Dr. Lenore Coleman, a pharmacist and founder of Healing Our Village, and we'll be discussing diabetes, prevention, and management. I'm Jason James, executive producer, and I'm joined by our esteemed host, Dr. Michael Lenore, a physician, medical reporter, and past president of the National Medical Association. Now, let's go to our interview with Dr. Lenore Coleman. Now, this is especially timely because we know that from the middle of November to the 1st of January, we all tend to eat a little bit more and gain a little bit more weight. We also know, as African Americans, the association between weight and diabetes. So today we have with our special guest, Dr. Leonore Coleman. She received her PhD in pharmacy from the University of California, San Francisco. She completed a residency in ambulatory care at the USC School of Pharmacy. And since that time, in every practice setting, Dr. Coleman has developed innovative programs to address medication adherence, otherwise known as compliance, and barriers to health for minority populations. Dr. Coleman is currently the president and founder of Healing Our Village in Maryland. Welcome to our program, Dr. Coleman. Dr. Lamar, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, as you said, this is our opportunity to try to really get the messaging out there, to, especially right now because of COVID-19 and the fact that folks with diabetes and high blood pressure are especially susceptible to the uh, complications of COVID-19. So of all the times in the world that we need to really focus on good diabetes control, this is it. Most people are familiar with the term diabetes. Of course, my grandmother used to call it the sugar. What is diabetes? So diabetes is basically um, high levels of glucose, which people term sugar, high levels of glucose in the blood, and because that glucose can't get out of the blood into the cells, the body then lacks energy. And so when you talk about diabetes, you're usually talking about either type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes. So in type 1 diabetes, which, by the way, only represents about 5 to 10% of the population here in the United States that have diabetes, in these folks, the pancreas does not make any insulin. And insulin is the, is the important key. It's a hormone that is released um, after we eat our meals, but also a little bit of it is released all day long to help us keep our blood sugar under control. So those with type 1 diabetes do not have any of that really important hormone, insulin. Now, type 2 diabetes represents about 90% of the people who have diabetes in this country. And the pancreas actually makes insulin, but unfortunately, their bodies, for a number of reasons, just do not respond well to that um, insulin that's in the bloodstream. So if you think about the cell with a little door and insulin is the key that unlocks that door, 
to get the sugar out of the blood into the cell. In people with type 2 diabetes, the key doesn't fit. So it doesn't open up the door to let that sugar out of the blood into the cell for the energy that's required. So this is typically the folks that have the type 2 diabetes. They tend to have lots of insulin floating around, but unfortunately that insulin just does not work. Most people think once you get diabetes, that's it. Is there a cure for diabetes? Well, right now we really don't have a cure. I think the closest that we may have that I guess could be labeled a cure is some of the um, gastric surgeries that they're doing for like gross obesity. Um, and those patients that have had um, those gastric bypass surgeries, if they had diabetes prior to that surgery, the diabetes actually seems to go away. But by and large, there is no cure for diabetes. Now, this is the interesting thing. For some people that have diabetes, especially type 2 diabetes, if you modify your eating habits, if you get your weight down to normal body weight, then that diabetes is actually managed. It's not cured, but you can manage diabetes with just diet and exercise. What's the exact incidence of diabetes? Um, yes, so here in the United States, um, there's about 34.2 million people that actually have diabetes, and that's both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And about 10.5% of the, of the population, they actually know that they have it. But there's about 7.3 million people who have diabetes who don't know that they have it. And that's what Healing Our Village focuses on. Throughout the year, we do a number of screenings because we're trying to find out those patients that have diabetes. In fact, we, this coming week is Thanksgiving, and there are going to be some, even just families, even if it's only small numbers of people that are gathering. If anyone in the family that has a meter needs to test everybody else in the family because we need to find that 7.3 million that don't know that they have it. So that's the number of people that we know have diabetes. This is an interesting sort of fact. When I graduated from pharmacy school in 1979, we were looking at five times less people had diabetes than they have now. So every year this number goes up and up and up. What are the risk factors for diabetes? All right, so um, the reason why we see so much now than we've never seen before is because of the number of people in this country that are overweight or obese. Um, we know that about 60-plus percent of people in this country of the United States is overweight, and about 30-plus percent of people in this country are obese. Um, if you have a family member, parent, brother, sister, with diabetes. Diabetes runs in families. It is a genetic disease. So if you have diabetes, I can guarantee you that somebody in your family had diabetes previously. So as, as Dr. Gavin, my medical, chief medical officer, always says, it's the genes, your genes, your genetics that actually load the gun. But it's your lifestyle, being obese, not eating what you should, not exercising. That is what pulls the trigger. So that is why we're seeing so much diabetes. 
also, ethnic groups, some ethnic groups just have a predisposition, African Americans, uh, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, um, the Latino um, uh, population, all of those have uh, a predisposition to getting diabetes, again, because of genetics. If you uh, maybe had diabetes when you were pregnant, so you have something called gestational diabetes, and one of your, one of your kids actually weighed at least um, nine pounds or greater, then and then when you you had the baby, then your diabetes went away. We have found that those folks that have gestational diabetes early in their early years, in their twenties and thirties, those same women end up with diabetes in their fifties and sixties. Having high blood pressure higher than 140 over 90. So it's really interesting. It looks like hypertension and diabetes sort of walk hand in hand. And a lot of times before we see the diabetes, we see the, the high blood pressure. So that's why when, we, when we're treating our high blood pressure patients, we definitely do good screening every year to make sure that their blood pressures are under good control. When you, Actually, when you think about diabetes, diabetes is actually a, a, could, should be thought of as a cardiovascular disease because it affects so many organ systems and so many of the hormones and enzymes in your body that it actually can do damage to your heart, your blood vessels, etc. And so that's why we are very aggressive with the management of both the hypertension but the diabetes as well. Uh, high cholesterol can, uh, uh, can, uh, are a risk factor for diabetes. And then being sedentary, not getting any exercise. Again, 150 minutes per week is what uh, the, the CDC recommends. Several years ago, I went to my doctor for my routine screen. I had a blood sugar that I thought was normal. He said, no, there's new normals, and things have changed. Your blood sugar suggests that you have free diabetes. What is free diabetes, and what is the implications? Okay, well, prediabetes is something that people have, actually, before they usually go on to develop Diabetes. The data shows that people who get diagnosed with diabetes actually have had diabetes for about 6.9 years prior to the diagnosis of diabetes, which is diagnosed if your blood sugar is greater than 126 milligrams per deciliter. So that's, that's your number, 126 milligrams per deciliter for diabetes. Prediabetes is between 101 and 125 milligram per deciliter. And remember I said there was 34 million with diabetes? Well, there's 88 million American adults. That's actually one in three have prediabetes. So we know that prediabetes is dangerous because during that time that your blood sugar is high but you haven't been diagnosed with diabetes yet, you have an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. About a third of the people go on to develop type 2 diabetes. But also that high blood sugar during that time period can affect your heart, your blood vessels, and can lead to heart attacks and strokes. So people with prediabetes need to pay attention. How do they know? Yes, yes, yes. So first of all, for all of you in the in the listening audience, go to the Google, go Google right now pre pre uh, diabetes risk test. Just put in diabetes risk test. Take the test online, and if you're five points or more, you you possibly have prediabetes. You need to ask your doctor about that. Okay. So we know if you in fact have prediabetes, 
and your A1C, which we'll talk about a little later, is between 5.5 and 6.4, then we're going to start wanting you to really focus on your diet and what you're eating. We want you to stop eating high-fat foods and high-calorie foods, and we want you to lose somewhere between 5 to 7% of your body weight if you're overweight, and then getting in that 150 minutes every week of some kind of physical activity. And if you do those things, in the in the major study that was done in prediabetes patients, we found that a third of the patients actually will go back to what they call normal glucose tolerance. So they actually become normal in terms of, of their blood sugar. What are the signs of high blood sugar and how do you make the diagnosis of diabetes? All right, so the signs and symptoms of high blood sugar, uh, most people have what they call the three Ps, which is polyuria, polydipsia, polyphagia, which means you're really thirsty, drinking all the time, um, you're urinating a whole lot. Those are probably the two biggest ones, and you're really thirsty. But also a lot of people are just tired. Um, maybe they uh, their skin is, becomes really dry and itchy. Um, if you start to lose some feeling in your feet or you notice some numbness and tingling in your in your hands and feet. And one of the key ones is blurry eyesight. All of a sudden you have to go see your eye doctor multiple times because your eyes keep, you have to keep changing your glasses because of blurred vision. In terms of how you diagnose this, the, the main test that everybody needs to know is hemoglobin A1C. Hemoglobin A1C. That is the measure of your blood glucose, not blood sugar. Well, okay, so there's kind of two things. So your hemoglobin A1C is a, is a test that they're now sort of looking at and, and allowing for diagnosis. And if your A1C is higher than 6.5, it's an indication of diabetes. But that, but the oral glucose tolerance test is still the main test, right, where the doctor has you drink a high-sugar drink, test your blood sugar over every 30 minutes over a two-hour period of time. And, again, that, the, the number that we have to remember is 126 is how you make the diagnosis of diabetes. So if your blood sugar is greater than 126 um, milligrams per deciliter, then you have diabetes. Dr. Coleman? We know the long-term complications of untreated diabetes can be lethal. Can you describe some of those? All right. So the main thing, 80% of people that have type 2 diabetes die of heart attacks and strokes. So the, the numbers are every 20 seconds someone in the U.S. has a heart attack, every minute somebody dies. Strokes is every minute somebody has a stroke, every three minutes somebody dies. Blindness is the Diabetes is the leading cause of blindness. That's why everybody with a diagnosis of diabetes has to go see their ophthalmologist every year and get their eyes dilated um, because a lot of people with diabetes have glaucoma and cataracts due to the diabetes. Chronic kidney disease. This is especially important for African Americans. African Americans have more kidney failure than any other population mainly because they also tend to have high blood pressure. So that is the reason why in people with, with diabetes, we're very, very uh, cautious and very strict on their blood pressure control. Um, the other thing is um, neuropathy. So a lot of folks have uh, numbness and tingling in their fingers, and they have neuropathy. Um, sometimes if they describe it as a burning sensation. And there are drugs that are available for them to use if, in fact, they have uh, neuropathy. One of the common ones that I see now that people are taking is gabapentin. 
Um, because of the neuropathy and, be, and because of the, the fact that people with diabetes are prone to amputation, because of the nerve damage, that's why it's important to check your feet and legs daily, um, make sure your skin stays, uh, doesn't get dry, so you've got to use lotions, and go to a podiatrist to get your feet, your toenails clipped, and wear shoes that do not hurt your feet. The feet seem to be a particularly dangerous target for diabetes. Yes, yes, yes. And unfortunately, we still are having people with amputations because of diabetes, blood sugars out of control, which to me makes no sense. 4,000 people a year lose their eyesight because of diabetes. These complications are just devastating. And it's, and it's so easy to fix it. All you have to do is just keep your blood sugar under control. You know, so much has happened in the field of diabetes and monitoring equipment and new medications. Talk to us about management. All right, so the first thing that they need to do is they, they have to um, uh, get their meal planning under control. They have to know what they're eating, what they should eat, what they shouldn't eat, and they need to make sure that they're decreasing their portion sizes. So, so food is really important, especially for type 2 diabetes. Second thing, everybody with diabetes Type 1, type 2, and even those with prediabetes need to be measuring their blood glucose at home. They have to get a blood glucose monitor. Now, there's the, the newest ones that you see the commercials where it's called continuous glucose monitoring, and you can just, you know, wave the, the meter over a patch. Um, the issue with that is it's very, it's very accurate and it's wonderful technology, but most people's insurance do not pay for that especially if you have type 2 diabetes. So there are still blood glucose meters that are on the market. They're very accurate. Everybody should be testing their blood sugar at least twice a day if you're not in good control or less frequently if your A1C is 7% or less. So let's just talk about good control. Good control is when you make when you have diabetes, good control is when you wake up in the morning, your blood sugar is between 90 and 130. Um, you never should have a blood sugar greater than 160. Um, your A1C should be less than 7%. Or if you're 60 years and older or have heart disease, then your A1C should be 7.5%. So that's the first thing. So control your food intake and your diet. Start monitoring your blood sugar. Everybody, with, by and large, with diabetes, initially goes on drug therapy. And the commonly first-line drug is metformin. Um, it's usually taken uh, once or twice a day, and that's how you start. And it usually works real good if your A1C is less than 8%. But if your A1C is 9, 10, 11, 12, higher than, than 8%, then you're going to need two to three medications to get your blood glucose to that A1C of 7.7 to 7.5. So after people start metformin, now because we have all these really new, wonderful drugs that are out there that we didn't have when I first started practice back in 1979, now we have DPP-4 inhibitors and SGLT-2 inhibitors. These are the drugs that usually get added to metformin. Um, they work very well for the management of, of blood sugar, and the reason why I like them is because they only work when your blood sugar is high. So they tend not to cause low blood sugar reactions. And we don't want people to get hypoglycemic or have low blood sugar because that can be more dangerous, actually, than high blood sugar. 
And then after you've tried those drugs with metformin and you're still not at your target, then you can add on an injection with, that's uh, called a GLP-1 agonist. So those are your uh, uh, your Victoza, um, your uh, um, Simbaglutide, Dulaglutide. They all end with the word Tide, Liraglutide. Exenatide, and then if those don't work after we've added that on to your metformin and, and another oral agent, then it's time for us to start looking at insulin. There are two types of insulin. There are long-acting insulins, which can be taken once a day at bedtime, and with many patients, that's all they're going to need. And then there are rapid-acting insulins that are used to cover a meal. Um, with a lot of patients, if they're on a long-acting, I can just cover one meal a day, their biggest meal with some rapid-acting insulin, and I can usually get them to their target goals. So, again, the, the, I guess the main thing I want to say is this is not one-size-fits-all. Every single patient is different. Their physiology is different. And so you really need to come up with the perfect combination for you. You know, Dr. Coleman, you've been fighting this battle for a long time, trying to get the message out to the African-American community, Diabetes is a very serious problem affecting so many of us. Uh, that weight control and exercise are the key. Um, what else do we have to do? Yeah, you know, I, I have a patient that I'm working with right now, which is just an amazing thing. Um, it's so interesting because when I we, we're actually working with physicians in the uh, D.C. Maryland area, and she was one of the patients that we called up for our initial diabetes assessment. And it, this woman has got um, a BMI of, of 35, so she's she's obese, um, and was on was when I talked to her the first day, she was on 90 units of insulin in the morning, 20 of regular, 70 of, of long-acting, and another 90 units in the evening. And she was given a prescription for both the Trulicity and the um, Victoza, which both belong to that class of GLP-1s. She was taking all of that medicine, and every night her blood sugars would be dropped to 40, and she couldn't get them up. She'd be up all night drinking orange juice because her blood sugars wouldn't, once she, she uh, dropped to 40, she couldn't get, uh, get up past 60. Well, this is what I learned from that woman. Number one, she had no idea of the relationship between the medications and her blood sugars. So she didn't understand that what she was doing with her medication affected her numbers. She didn't understand the numbers. That's why the self-monitoring of blood glucose is so important. So we were able to figure out what was going on with her low blood sugar. We were able to cut back on a lot of the medicines she was taking and change the timing so that the timing of her insulin was associated with her meals. And then we also talk about what she was eating so that she wasn't spiking her blood sugar. So the answer to your question is the reason why we're having so much trouble right now is because, unfortunately, physicians just do not have the time that it takes to really educate patients related to their medication and their diabetes. And it really takes a diabetes educator or a pharmacist or someone else to spend that kind of time. You know, Dr. Coleman, that's one thing we consistently talk about here on Black Doctors Speak. If your grandmother goes to the doctor or your mother goes to the doctor with a complex problem like diabetes, so your father goes uh, with prostate cancer, your grandfather, 
somebody often needs to go with them, somebody in your family with some basic medical knowledge to get the real story, to get the record straight, to understand the instructions, to understand the follow-up. We think that's critically important to African Americans and one of the reasons why we don't get the health care we deserve. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I I, uh, um, have my Facebook page. I I, I stream live on Facebook um, from Healing Our Village Facebook um, every Saturday. And yesterday I spent the whole day talking about um, what happened to my brother over the last four weeks. And let me tell you this. One of the main things that I stress is that everybody who has a chronic disease needs to go right now online and get and print out the copy of the health care agent. You need a health care agent. You need to sign it and witness it. So when you go into that hospital, their advocate, that person has legal paperwork to show them that hospital that you they can talk to your doctor on your behalf really important because when you're sick it's hard for you to really understand everything that's going on but this healthcare advocate really needs to have some medical training so someone in your family who maybe is a nurse or a therapist or a psychologist it doesn't matter but they need to be uh, uh understand the way the healthcare system works because otherwise you got trouble Dr. Coleman, one of the things that I've always admired about you is that instead of staying with those high corporate consulting jobs and working for major institutions at a good salary and a quality lifestyle, you chose to jump out into the community with a number of projects because you were concerned about the health of African Americans. Tell us somewhat about that genesis and what's happened since then. Um, Well, back in 1996, my pastor died of sudden death in the pulpit. He had high blood pressure, and he had a little bit of of high blood sugar. And that profoundly affected me um, because he was only 58 years old, and he had a lot more years to live. So I decided on that day I actually quit my, my corporate position and started healing our village. And this is all about underserved populations. What Healing Our Village does is disease management around diabetes and cardiovascular disease and obesity. So we focus on diabetes and prediabetes. And we have a number of things that we have created now on our newest website, which is hovhealth.com. So we now have video education, either video on demand or pay-per-view. We're selling our blood glucose meters and our blood pressure cuffs at a discounted rate. And we have something called Village Club, which is a subscription service where for those who have lost their health insurance or for those who want a second opinion um, for $60 a year, which is 5 bucks a month, people will be able to talk to a doctor or a diabetes educator or my dietitians or even a lifestyle coach. All of that for the under the Village Cub subscription. And again, all available on www.hovhealth.com. Um, just also our, our 800 number, if you need to call and ask questions, is 800-788-0941. The second thing we have is total lifestyle change, which has been around since about 2001. It is a nonprofit, 
And this is who does the screening and the outreach for diabetes and high blood pressure, not only here in the United States, but in the Caribbean, and we've actually done some work in Africa as well. And so what we're looking at here is a nonprofit that I'm asking everyone to be involved with to help us out with donations. Um, if you go to tlc-global.org, you'll see all of the initiatives that we have going, some in the community, some with churches, and we really need your support. So I really am focused on stopping hypertension. That is our goal. In fact, my hashtag is no more funerals. Well, Dr. Coleman, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and giving your time back to the community. We are always grateful when outstanding experts from around the country join the Black Doctor Speaks audience. Your information about diabetes, I think, should help lots of people, and especially those people who don't know whether they have it or not. For those of you listening to us, remember the holiday season is a great season, a little tempered today by the coronavirus epidemic. I think it's a good time to remember to watch your weight and exercise. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Dr. Coleman for joining us and offering her advice and insight on how to prevent and manage diabetes. I hope you all enjoyed today's show and that you'll share this episode with your friends and family. Black Doctor Speak is sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Markel Lenore Endowment, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. Continue the conversation with us on social media at Black Doctor Speak on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. And if you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you as they become available, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeart, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.